0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Good morning, how are
2: you, Nesco? Good to see you. We've just got visitors coming in. And Satenda has cleared the uh, radio equipment and the, the camera.
1: We're going through tight security because the Law Report is taking you inside Thomas Embling Hospital, Melbourne's forensic health facility. Most of the people here will have either killed someone or seriously
2: harmed them and in almost all cases that's happened when they've been very mentally unwell with a diagnosed mental illness. So it's so serious that when you go to trial it's seen that you weren't criminally responsible for what you did. So although you engaged in the offending you have been seen by the court not to be morally responsible in the same way and you're seen as deserving
1: treatment rather than punishment. Damien Carrick here, and I'm the first journalist ever allowed to record inside this 136-bed facility. My guide is psychiatrist Danny Sullivan. He's executive director of clinical services. We're just about to enter Thomas Embling Hospital. We're now leaving the security room and we're entering into kind of a large open space surrounded by low-rise one- and two-storey buildings inside the prison, the hospital, the facility. I'm not quite sure. It's always a hospital
2: because prisons are staffed by correctional staff um, and although they're not places where people are punished, they are sent there as a punishment. A hospital is very different. It's a therapeutic environment. Well, let's go for a wander. Um, Good, show me around. One thing that's striking is that although there are 130 patients here and uh, we have hundreds of staff, the hospital looks remarkably empty and that's because most people are in their units. Movement within the facility is controlled depending upon their security status and the um, ability of that patient safely to access the campus. So
1: the different
2: units have people with different risk profiles in them? That's right. So we have acute and subacute units. Acute units are for people who are generally um suffering a serious mental illness almost everyone here has a psychotic illness such as schizophrenia and generally in the acute units they are experiencing active symptoms which have not yet come under fairly good control but as we move into the subacute or rehabilitation units although people still have a serious mental illness they're often in far better mental state and doing well
1: what's the the longest and the shortest
2: stay some people will stay for many years. The average length of stay is um, for forensic patients is seven to eight years, but we have patients who will stay here until they die of age-related complications, if they're unable to be released safely into the community. And what percentage of people never get released? I oh, look, it's only a very small percentage. Okay, and where are you taking me now? Well, perhaps we're going to enter a unit in a minute, but the other thing to reflect on is that um, although there are high walls, what you can see beyond those walls are fabulous gum trees and the Yarrow Bend National Park. Um, Even though you are detained here and there's a high wall, what you can also see are trees and a little bit of green space. And, of course, the bird noises, yes. That's right. So we're entering uh, the unit now. There are two units which come off this single building. One of those is a 12-bed unit for women and one of them is a 24-bed rehabilitation unit for men. Yeah, well, let's see whether we're on a swipe pass. The Kenning unit is a 24-bed unit. It's a long-stay unit, so it's generally for people who are fairly settled in mental state but remain unwell. In many cases, they will stay for a fairly lengthy period of time, and that includes some people who have cognitive impairment or intellectual disability. That includes people who are...
1: Increasingly aged and frail.
2: Open. Th-
1: through another security door. Greetings. Hi. How's it
2: going? Good. We have the ABC Radio here. Hi. Um, Hello. They're just interested in having a look on the unit. The unit settled at the moment. We don't need to speak to any patients necessarily, but if they wish to come and talk, then we'll, we'll sort that out as it goes. Okay,
1: okay, thank you. Thanks. Cheers. That was a nurses' station with about half a dozen people in.
2: G'day. Hello. Um how's it going this is abc radio how are you i'm fine good good did you want to talk to the radio you you can
3: do so if you wish oh hi how you going
1: i'm good i'm good how's life here at the
3: in the ward it's pretty horrible it's pretty horrible have you you been name sorry no 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 we're not we're not
1: using names because we want to protect everyone's privacy do you ever go out on um day passes out into the community
3: i do yes once every four right do you go by yourself, or do you go with other staff? I go staff member. I bought tortures and groceries to take home with me to eat here. Oh, good. Do you cook for yourself here? No, I don't. They cook for me. Okay, good. I cook once a week for myself. Oh, that's good. Thanks. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, too.
2: Thanks it? for talking Thanks
1: to
2: so us. Right. Yeah,
3: geez. See ya. See ya.
1: So we're now in a ward, there's a big lounge area with a pool table, TV and a lounge, and there are a number of people, different ages, watching TV, g'day, hello, 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 hello. Okay, and we're passing through the lounge and into the ward. Natalie, Um,
2: just wondering whether you think there's any patients here who would be willing to let us have a look into their bedrooms? Natalie's one of our occupational therapists here, so she makes sure that patients don't get bored and have plenty of things to do and also work on skills to return to the community. Thank you very much.
1: G'day, right I'm here. Damien. This is Damien, one of the journalists from the ABC. Close around my TV, my radio. Thank you very much for allowing us into your room, which is a kind of a small
3: room. Did you have computer access? Computer access, you do in the front. And you got um, f- photos of family members. That's me when I was a kid, so 12 years old. Put the photo up there.
1: But a small little corner bathroom, yeah, wow. terrific.
2: And just to point out as well, um, the patients in the hospital aren't locked into their rooms. The room is locked, and they can access it themselves. The nursing staff can access the room if they want, but they can come into the room and lock have the door behind
3: search, them. There room searches, search around.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's it like being being here in, in sure Tom Simpson? The
3: thing is, like taking medication regularly, going to a sauna, gym, go for leaves. Mm-hmm. come back go things like that yeah.
1: so you're allowed out on, on leave pass yeah um, I'm
3: going out on Sundays I enjoy myself yeah, buy some, get some something to eat drink some
1: coffee so you go to a shopping centre, yeah, shopping centre. are you supervised when you go out
3: uh, I'm on my own this time I'm going on my own this Sunday I've got unescorted and escorted So,
2: how did you get to the stage where you could go out on leave without staff with you?
3: three to four years. To get, to get
2: three up. to four years. Yeah. And what do you have to do in order to go out by yourself? Take
3: medication regularly. Yeah. Do the right thing, no trouble. Yep. And all thought, that's Fantastic.
1: Well done. Yeah. And to go yeah. through those processes of increased liberties, do you have to go back before the forensic leave panel?
3: Yeah, you go, to the leave panel, you go to the forensic leave panel. They see every six months, yep. twice a year. And they approve your leaves, and they and it's, once it's approved, they let you know here, and then you can go out. I don't right. uh, or I score in quarters, Yeah. What's it like living here? Well, look, that's not too sad, but pretty, pretty right. Yeah. yeah. So probably seven out of ten. Do you
1: feel that you've been able to deal with the mental health issues here in the hospital?
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very
1: much Thanks for very much. talking Thanks to, much much. to
2: me. I'm good. No that's good.
1: Yes, so we're heading back down the corridor back into the mate. Thanks very much, Natalie.
2: That's really good. Thank
1: you, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Oh, how are you going?
1: Yeah, good, good, good. We just met before. You've got some lunch now.
3: I've uh, got some meat for breakfast here yeah, oh, in the right. chaos here. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'll just stay on loop, not off campus leave. It has to be a score if it's off campus. Yeah, right,
0: well, right.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay, well, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy your lunch or breakfast. Thanks again. Cheers, Thank
3: cheers. You. See you. Okay. Thank you. I'll set it up. That's why I'm here. Um, it got me. It was a setup. all someone want to say about it? Mm. I'm, not, I'm not guilty of anything. Trying not to talk about people's
2: backgrounds here as yeah. well, just to keep your privacy, if that's okay. Yeah.
1: Thank you for talking to me about that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. If Danny's okay with that, we might include this conversation so people here, yeah. yeah, people on the outside, yeah, hear yeah. this. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much. We should leave you to have your sandwich while it's fresh.
3: That's
2: That's good. Well, we're we going to head this way. So you can
1: come and go from the ward when you want, is that right?
3: I can off
2: Okay, right. That's good.
1: Okay, so we're now going through a big park area. There's basketball hoop, there's uh, big trees. Is that like a gym? Yep, there's a gym and a TAFE college. So, 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 Danny, that patient has just left us. Look, he said, look, um, he's not guilty of anything. It was a setup.
2: Have to talk about that a little bit later. Yep. Of oh, course,
1: we'll talk about that a little we'll while later. We'll
2: come into the gym, which is quite impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah. come and have a look in here, and we'll talk. Oh, about Okay. It yeah. Sure. Sure.
2: So, so. so there's a swimming
1: pool. Oh, yeah. Indoor swimming pool. Indoor swimming pool. Yep. How's it going? And uh, a big gym with a big uh, basketball hoops.
0: Yeah. G'day.
3: Yeah, uh, my name's Anthony. I'm the manager of the health and fitness service within Tom Assembling. So we provide uh,
2: a gymnasium full of cardio and weights equipment. Hello, and there are a couple of patients
1: in there um, having a workout. Yep.
2: Yeah, uh, so we provide uh, just machine based weights uh, to keep the uh, facilities safe uh, for all involved. No free weights. No free weights, yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess with our structured day here we provide uh, personal training uh, plans and programs. Uh, We also run a lot of sports and team activities because we find that's a a great chance and outlet for the patients to interact together. People with psychotic illness um, have an increased rate of death through cardiovascular causes, often have very unhealthy lifestyles with smoking and poor diet. The medication tends to induce obesity and of course, in institutional settings where people are in hospital for a long time, they can become somewhat inert and sort of less active. It's not just about mental health; it's actually about well-being in a greater way. And you know, the gym here and Anthony's team do a great job in really keeping people who are motivated to stay
1: healthy. Thanks for Thanks showing me around. No, no worries.
2: Well, it's Thank good.
1: You. Back into the uh, the main common area, garden area in the middle of the facility. Just to show you behind, um, there's a range of. Rooms,
2: computer studies, general education. So, we we have a contract with a TAFE college to ensure that people can access courses. There's a workshop over here so people can complete TAFE qualifications and certificates,
1: which enable them to take qualifications out that they didn't have before they came in here. Okay, we're now going into another room with again big glass windows and it's uh, alarmed.
2: (laughs) This door will alarm if you don't come in quickly enough. That's good. So, the interview room opens off the ward. So people can come from the ward and return to the ward. Damien, there's a chair behind you. I'd like you to just pick that up and move it if you can.
1: It's uh, it's extremely heavy. It looks like it's made out of some kind of composite plastic, but uh, it looks like it's got concrete. Yeah, it probably weighs
2: 50 or 60 kilograms. So obviously that's so that people can't pick up or throw the furniture. So if you think about the design of a secure hospital, it's an important aspect. And of course, that has to be balanced against creating an environment which is not like a prison, it's not correctional. So you'll see that all of the doors are standard doors with doorknobs, they're not cells. And similarly, the place has to be home-like. People live here for many years, um, the idea is that it's a therapeutic
1: environment. and You don't get a therapeutic environment if it feels like a prison. On this issue of, of safety, look, um, as I was researching for this visit, I came across a, a number of very, very serious incidents. Uh, in 2015, a patient who had been detained since 2002 for killing a number of people, he stabbed a hospital doctor and seriously injured them. And then in 2009, another patient killed two fellow patients. and. One was a close friend and interestingly I learnt that at the time when he stabbed to death these two people, uh, he was on a pre-release program and he had been unescorted out of the facility many, many times. Um, It occurred in a low security facility, these two killings. Yes, these are tragic and
2: devastating incidents which I think for many of the staff and patients here have left psychological wounds, certainly for the victim of the assault, the, the doctor. The first thing to reflect is that you know the people that are in Thomas Embling Hospital have been sent here because they have a history of significant violence and also of a severe mental illness which has not responded quickly to treatment. The second thing is that in some cases uh, people are very guarded and uh, it's difficult to glean what's occurring in their mental state. They may not disclose delusional beliefs or ideas that they have of harming other people. So we do what we can to mitigate against that but we can't detain everyone forever and in order to return people to the community what we have to do is very gradually, very incrementally provide increased opportunities for people to interact with others better and better as their mental health is more stable and that will involve for instance eating with knives and forks and uh, cooking in in a kitchen that has sharp implements and accessing the community where you can access drugs or All of this is the sort of risk that has to be taken to return
1: a person to the community. Indeed, I understand the man who stabbed his two fellow patients, one of whom he was very close to, I I believe. It was a good friend. It was a kitchen knife. Yes, that's right.
2: It's important to reflect upon the graded leave program, which I think is perhaps the thing that's most responsible for the generally great rates of successful reintegration into the community, certainly compared to prisoners who return. And as we know, around half of all prisoners will re-offend and return to prison often within a couple of years. Given that we can't simply lock people up indefinitely, it's really important that we do that. And I think that's perhaps better to do it as a graded program of graduated leave, supported by staff initially, and moving to greater degrees of independence than it is to treat people for a defined period of time and then simply release them into the community without that. But I certainly accept that uh, we are dealing with a population who have usually conducted serious offences and we have to be very cautious with that. One of the things to reflect on, of course, is that uh, the decisions to return people to the community are made by an independent body. And in some ways that's an effective safeguard for the community, not to know that staff here can become lax or, or overlook concerns about a patient's safety but rather that there is a robust and skilled tribunal which overlooks leave decisions and
1: make sure that they're granted with the primary consideration of community safety but of course it's an imperfect system i mean this man who, who killed the two fellow inmates i think he'd been on unescorted leave some 736 times um, without incident and then he, he kills two fellow patients yes it's uh it's
2: spectacular um these are these are exceptional cases but they're devastating and tragic
1: yeah okay and where are we heading now we heading, so, we're heading so we're heading back, back to the uh, we're heading back full circle we're Sorry. about going out to the security exit yep. after passing back out through security i leave psychiatrist danny sullivan and head off to another part of the hospital the jardine ward it houses patients who are transitioning back into the community after navigating through this ward's separate security entrance, I meet someone that we're going to call James. He was living out in the community on a non-custodial order, but he had to return to custody and is only now gradually regaining his
0: freedoms. Hi,
2: Damien and one of the
0: nurses here. Hi, that's you. Nice to meet you. I got out about three years ago, got extended leave and got out here. And then I had a bit of a bump in the road Done drugs, so i come back in, and then yeah, I've been in ever since, yeah, because I've done drugs, yeah.
1: So, you, you were what you were out living outside, were yes. you? Yes, and you, you got permission to live outside, and then you got caught with a drug, drugs, yeah, drug um, sample a drug urine sample, and presumably they found stuff in your system, yeah. yeah.
0: So, the um, I told my treating team that I was doing ice, and they stuck me mm. back in. So, they're pretty strict, the authorities, um, they're very strict, but very safe, yeah. Very safe for the
1: community. What was your life like before you came to Thomas Sembling Hospital?
0: Um, I had a mental illness, but I had no education on it before I come into Thomas Sembling, before my offence. Got diagnosed when I was 16 years of age. So uh, w- were you getting ongoing medical treatment? Yes, yes. So I, ha- I had my medication and, um, and had to take it daily, but, um, I-, I went off my medication for two months. I had a big, um, mental relapse and um, done a bad offense yes having visual hallucinations auditory hallucinations and delusional and it wasn't very nice what i had done yeah hearing voices and the voices are telling me to they're commanding me to do things and i was doing them violent acts and wasn't very good um yeah my head wasn't wasn't good yeah, it was in the wrong Wrong state of mind, yeah. Had you
1: ever previously come into contact with the criminal justice system before no, that time? No, that was my first time. You were found to be unfit to stand trial because of mental impairment. What's it like in, in Thomas Embling Hospital?
0: My experience basically, the whole Thomas Embling Hospital was set up for you to succeed. You've got therapeutic groups on your mental illness. Number two, you've got um, a schooling education. You can go reading, you can go spelling, um, computers, art, yeah. And you're back on your meds as well? Yeah, been back on my meds since my offence, and I haven't re-offended. And what's the difference between
1: Tom assembling and this Jardine Ward, which is just across the road from Tom Embling, or oh, even across
0: yeah. a lane? Really? Uh, Thomas Embling is um, for people that are still recovering on the mental illness, still going through rehab and out here in Jardine is um, community transition. They let you out of the community, still strict, but a lot more community links. Um, they want you to go to work. They want you to do groups in the in the city. They don't piggyback you. You got, you got to walk to the train station. You got to catch a train to all your groups, your therapeutic groups, to all your mental illness groups. It's all up to yourself. Yeah, yeah. So you're allowed out now. Yeah, seven days a week, fourteen hours a day. We're speaking
1: in the afternoon because I think you were um you're at work today, work, right? Yes, yes, yes,
0: love work.
1: Don't tell me where you work, but can
0: you tell me what kind of work
1: cleaning cleaning I do? And and you do that how many hours a week?
0: Three days a week, four or five hours a day. Yeah, no, love it, love working. What, what would you like people hearing
1: this program to know about Tom assembling and the people inside and people like you?
0: Oh, I don't know, just. We're normal people, but with the mental illness, um, everyone struggles. Everyone has their challenges. We're in here because we done offences and we re-correcting our mistakes. And do you think you have insight into those mistakes, those offences? Oh, offenses? definitely. If you're motivated, if you want to get out of here, you have to get up off your ass, get to those therapeutic groups, and do the work. You know, it's about tackling your mental health is it also about remorse for what happened like one of the groups called violence and offending we had to actually say our offense in the group and um it was pretty confronting for some people uh, a lot few patients cried where they said the offense few patients didn't like the therapeutic group so they took off and left and didn't come back um but i stayed in the mate and you know it was um yeah, I said my offence and um, can't heal the past, but we can heal the future, no? We we're going for, going forward. You want people to know that many people here are working really hard. Probably about 80, 80% of them working hard. They're, they're very safe to be around. Um, yeah, no, it's good. Some um, thank you for your questions and yeah, no, all good. Good.
1: and you're listening to the Law Report on ABC Radio National. We've just been on a tour of the facility, and now, Danny, we're we're sitting in your office. Can we talk about the process whereby somebody who is charged with a serious, serious criminal offence, and and you, you said that most of the people here had killed somebody, how they actually get to a point where they're found to be unfit to stand trial or or mentally impaired to a point where they shouldn't go through a, a normal trial and be found guilty or not guilty. How does it work? People become a forensic
2: patient by being found not guilty by reason of mental impairment or unfit to be tried under the crimes Mental Impairment and Unfitness to be Tried Act 1997. And the process there is that while you're in prison or on bail in the community, typically It's raised by the defence or the prosecution and they commission a report from a psychiatrist or sometimes from a psychologist addressing the criteria for that. It then goes to court and depending on the particular, whether it's mental impairment or unfitness to be tried, it can either be heard by a judge alone or by a jury. There's at least two reports, one from the defence and one from the prosecution and all, whether whether for the defence or the prosecution, the psychiatrists doing that have obligations to the court to be objective and impartial.
1: And you do a lot of those prosecution reports, don't you? I do. I do. I've
2: done defence reports and prosecution reports uh, for much of my career.
1: To clarify, if you are high on a drug uh, and say, I don't know what I'm doing because I was high on a drug, that does not mean you can avail yourself of this. The defence of
2: mental impairment in Victoria applies um, to those who are deemed through, and I quote, disease of the mind. Unquote, and a disease of the mind is taken as a psychotic illness, not one which is induced by drug use.
1: D- Danny Sullivan, as, I, as I've been researching, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading and a lot of viewing, and 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 uh, families of deceased people, I think, have well, there are there are many concerns, but there. Let me put two major ones to you. One, the idea that maybe offenders who commit terrible crimes are, are gaming the system. They're, they're pointing to a mental health issue and saying that they're not responsible for their actions in a way to escape the full consequences. Do you understand that? Oh,
2: absolutely, yeah. Um, well, given a choice... Um, It depends whether a person would prefer to be treated in hospital, which is certainly a a nicer environment than prison. But, of course, it does take with it that you, you must comply with medication, which in some cases is injected or has serious side effects. So there are certainly people who would try to game the system and would seek, a, you know, the path that seems to provide the best opportunity. The legislation, as with legislation in all common law countries, has a, a, a series of checks and balances to make sure that it's not just the uncontradicted word of a couple of so-called experts. You mean the psychiatrists who uh, write the reports? That's right. So, you know, the evidence has to be of a, of a significant, cogent level it has to be sufficiently robust that it satisfies either a jury of, uh, of citizens or a judge. It's not simply
1: a matter of saying, I was hearing voices. Do you know how often judges or juries say, nope? We don't agree with this assessment. We think somebody should stand trial in a, in a standard criminal court.
2: We know that um, there's probably agreement between experts in maybe seventy to eighty percent of cases. So then it will go to a contested trial, and it's up to the jury or the uh, the judge to make up their mind about the evidence
1: that's heard. Look, one of the other really big concerns from families of deceased. Uh, there's a fear that people can commit a terrible act and then, in a relatively short space of time, return to the community. And uh, there are issues around risk, about supervision, huge issues. Yeah
2: that's a very understandable concern. I mean, the families of um of victims or people who affected by violence, you know are obviously, huge. That's why it's really important that we have a series of robust checks and balances to make sure that when a person returns to the community, if they return to the community, that they do so safely. Um, And those are checks and balances from an external panel. They're fundamentally premised upon ensuring that risk is sufficiently mitigated. And although it may seem to a family of a victim that the person might get out faster than if they had been convicted of the offence and gone to prison. The satisfaction, I suppose, is of knowing that the person gets out on a protracted period of community supervision and monitoring, um, which is, you know, demonstrated to reduce the risk of re-offending significantly compared to those who receive a straight release from prison or even a release um, on parole from which at least you know, 50% of people will breach conditions of their parole. So the supervision and monitoring, you know, although the family may not have their desire for punishment met, the supervision and monitoring is, is certainly intended to satisfy the community that release is safe.
1: Can we talk about uh, one of the people we met in, in the Canning Ward? He he wanted to tell us as as we were leaving the Canning Ward that uh, he's not guilty of any offence and it was a setup. And uh, this is somebody who's been in here for years now. That goes to the issue of self insight. He's somebody who who tells me that he's allowed out. By the way, escorted leave. Yes. So uh, in terms of insight, obviously
2: there are numbers of people who will have varying degrees of acceptance of responsibility for what has happened. And and some people may accept responsibility but say, but I was mentally ill, so as if that somehow negates the offence. What I can say is that if there is any link between a lack of insight and a risk to the community, that leave would not be proceeding. Some residual symptoms, um, that the nature of serious mental illness is not that it necessarily goes away completely, but it often requires lifelong maintenance on medication, and there may still be some residual symptoms. What we want is the knowledge that those symptoms are not linked to behaviours or concerning attitudes which increase that risk of offending. There will always be... An element of risk. There's nothing that will take away all risk forever, um, but certainly the Forensic leave Panel would not be granting leave if it did not believe that that person's level of insight wasn't associated with escalated risk.
1: What do you want people to understand about this facility and about this system? Look, I think, I think the first thing is that it's important to treat people with serious mental
2: illness humanely and well, even if they have committed offences, um, that we remain a hospital. Um, and that it's a very much a, a therapeutic environment that returning people to sufficient health and well-being that they can safely return to the community involves not just treatment with medication but the works of you know whole teams of people spread over a period of years and that i think people should be reassured that there are robust systems of decision making that that ensure that the release into the community is cautious and measured and undertaken with community safety at mind
1: Psychiatrist Danny Sullivan at Melbourne's Thomas Embling Forensic Hospital, speaking to the Law Report in March 2021. That's all we have time for this week. A big thank you to producer Anita Barrow and also to technical producer Brendan O'Neill. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more Law.